Happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. He's risen, he risen indeed. Yes. Uh, today we get to celebrate um, this, this beautiful and very cold day, too. Um, we get to celebrate um, that Christ is resurrected, that Christ has been risen. Um, we want to. Today I've titled my sermon Surprised by Hope. Um, some of you guys will know it's kind of an inside joke, actually, because uh, uh, in, in Stepping Stone, in Foundations, one of the discipleship classes the students are going through, uh, they have readings from this book called Surprised by Hope. So I have to admit that my sermon title is not original. Um, it's actually copied from uh, the scholar named M.T. Wright, who wrote a book called Surprised by Hope. Um, but that's kind of the, the, the topic and the theme that I want to talk about today. Um, that hope is an elusive thing in our world today. Um, I don't know if you guys know, uh, you felt it, I'm sure you have, especially in the last three years with COVID, that anxiety and depression have been on the rise um, worldwide, particularly among the younger generation. Um, I was looking up some surveys, and um, it's interesting, actually, there, uh, I, was, I was like, you know, is it just me, or does it feel like everyone around me feels very hopeless a lot of these days? Um, and I, I was looking up some surveys, it was, it was pretty interesting for me to find that within the United States, that is very much true. <laughs> People are not very hopeful about our country or about the world. Um, surprising actually to find that in developing countries, people tend to actually be more hopeful. Um, but nevertheless, it seems that in general, the world um, has become more and more anxious and more and more depressed, perhaps because of the connectedness of technology, because of perhaps because of our pandemic lately um, that has happened. And, um, and I don't know, there's just this sense that, I don't know if you guys get that sense from just hearing the news and watching the news and just the sense of doom and this weight of like, man, what is the world going to? <laughs> that is just constantly, you know, an onslaught in our lives. And today, you know, that's why I feel like there is a sense in which we may be surprised by hope. I would not describe the average person in America as particularly hopeful. Perhaps we're just trying to get through it. Perhaps we're just, you know, just, you know, trying to get to our next meal and just trying to make things work. But are we really hopeful? And today what I want to um, encourage us with, with this passage today from Luke, um, for the celebration of Easter, is that we as Christians can have an incredible hope, a tangible hope. A hope that isn't just some abstract idea out there, but a hope that, is, that can give us joy and give us freedom even today as we remember it. So that's my hope for us today, <laughs> that we would be surprised by this hope of the resurrection of Jesus as we recount through the stories of his resurrection. We're going to go through actually three stories in Luke 24. Um, so it's quite a bit of scripture. Um, but I, I feel like one of the best ways to just engage with God is just to hear his word, right? Um, and we're going to go through all three stories, and there's a reason why I didn't just pick one story. <laughs> but I, I wanted us to go through all three stories, because I think in Luke, there's an intention in the author to actually present these stories sequentially, to show us a progression, in some ways, of being surprised from hope, of taking us from a place of hopelessness to a place of joy and of worship, so that's what we're doing today. Um, first story. This is probably the one that we're most familiar with. 
Um, and actually, I would say that this story, interestingly, this story is oftentimes a story that's picked, you know, for Easter, right? But I want you to pay attention to something as we read the story. That the dominant feeling in the story is not necessarily one of joy and of wonder and of hope, but one of confusion, one of like jarring alarm, like what? Like what's going on kind of situation. Luke 24 verse 1, it says, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. This is three women um, whose names are going to be revealed later. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of Lord Jesus. While they were perplexing about this, perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the leaven and to the rest, that is, the disciples. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. I think that's the predominant feeling you get when you read this story is one of intrigue, one of mystery, <clears throat> one of alarm, but not necessarily one of hope. And I think it's very interesting, you know, when we think about sort of like, hey, you know, what did they not get the memo? Uh, you know, like all of us, when we came to Easter, we know Jesus is going to rise. We know when he dies, he's going to rise again on the third day. What about these poor folks, right? Why did, why, you know, why, why were they surprised? But it speaks to the unbelief in some ways, and also just the, the hardness of how hard it is to believe that someone will actually rise from the dead. If you look at sort of the rest of the gospel, you'll see that Jesus gave them fair warning. Um, he spoke to them about it. He was like, you know, I'm going to rise from the dead, you know, and, and he said it multiple times, right? In the Jewish worldview, there was this concept of the resurrection, of, of people being raised from the last day. So they had, in some sense, all the equipment, all, all that was necessary to understand what was taking place. It is interesting to me that it was still on this day, you know, when the women went to, to the empty tomb, that they took spices, there was not even an inkling in their brain that Jesus perhaps had risen. They had prepared fully to find a dead body, to bury him, to, to anoint him, to embalm him, to do all these things with the spices, right? They did not prepare to find a living body, a living person. And even so, when they go back and they talk to the disciples, disciples, I mean, I mean, these are the people who are supposed to get the message. I mean, what, if, what have they been doing this whole time with Jesus? If Jesus has not been telling them about what his plans are and what he's doing. But it seems to be an idle tale. And they don't even, they don't even bother to verify the story, except for one guy, Peter, right? They just sit there and they're like, ah, you're just, you're making things up. You're hallucinating. Oh, Mary, you must be just grieving really hard right now. You know, why don't you sit down, have a cup of tea or something? But I think when we put ourselves in their, their shoes, I wonder if we would have really reacted differently. Even with advanced knowledge, even with knowing scripturally, yes, there is going to be a resurrection. I wonder if we were there that day, if we would have reacted any differently. 
I think a lot of us, we go through life with a lot of this cognitive dissonance, actually, that we believe in such things like resurrection, that we believe in such things that God is alive. But if God were to actually come in through this door today and encounter us, I think we would be shocked. <laughs> I don't think we would be expecting it. I don't think we expect in some ways God to actually move and God to actually be resurrected. I think that speaks volumes to the hopelessness in some ways of our modern society and what we actually believe. It speaks spoke hope, uh, uh, volumes about the hopelessness of the people back then. That for centuries and centuries upon centuries, they had seen people they loved die and they had buried them and they had moved on. And you can almost feel this kind of collective sense of humanity, you know, just as we grapple with and as we deal with this concept of death, that all we know is that dead people stay dead and that's just the way it is. And I think there is a sense here in which, um, I don't know, that's challenging for us to think about our unbelief in that way. That like them, perhaps, um, I, I love this quote that says, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. That like them, in many ways, perhaps we seek God among the dead, too. Perhaps we also seek God um, not, you know, we're, uh, sorry, I got lost in my thought a little bit. Um, not, you know, um, where we expect him to be. Um, not, not in the living, not working among us. Um, but we expect him just to be distant, just to be uncaring, just to be not, not here. Um, do you mind if I actually just pray real quick? Um, I want to share a quick thing. Um, I am preaching without notes today. I feel like God is doing something weird in my life. Um, I, I came up here and I looked at my, my pad and it says, my remarkable is out of battery. So I, uh, I was just talking to God earlier today. I was just like, all right, Lord, I think this is going to be, this is going to be a challenge, but, you know, it's, it's funny how you always throw this with me. So please pray with me, because I am pretty nervous, and I just want to admit that. Um. <clears throat> God, Father God, your ways are always funny, Lord, to me. And this morning, Lord, God, you know what is in my heart. Lord, you know that more than anything else, Lord, what I want for us this morning is just to hear you speak. God, I don't even want to hear myself speak, but I want to hear you speak. I'm aware, Lord, that my thoughts and my words have little impact without you. That it's not my thoughts and my words that people have come to hear today, but it's yours. And so, Lord, would you use a broken vessel like me? Would you remind us today and show us through your word today the hope that we have in the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> okay. Hopefully gathered my thoughts a little. <laughs> Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here but has risen. 
So I think there is some aspect that I want us just to consider and just to slow down and think about how we would have handled the concept of resurrection and how we cancel the concept, handle the concept of death. Um, I think death is kind of that ubiquitous thing that everybody knows, that everyone has in the back of their minds, but nobody really thinks about. And we spend a lot of our lives avoiding the thought of death. Um, N.T. Wright, who wrote the book, um, Surprised by Hope, talks about how we, in a lot of ways, as society and culture, try to um, ameliorate kind of the effects of death. Um, and, he, and he talks about how, in a lot of ways, we don't really tackle this idea that death is really bad, <laughs> that death is really not a good thing, um, that death is not part of perhaps what God created the world to be like, um, but as a result of fallenness and of brokenness. And, and he says that there's actually been this kind of infiltration of these ideas that have crept in um, that, that in, sort, in order to be able to grieve with and to handle death, what we do is, is we make death to be this positive thing and like, you know, you know, we're with Jesus now after we die. You know, we're going to be with heaven, um, with God in heaven. N.T. Wright talks about how the physical death of an image bearer of God is not a good thing. It's not a natural thing. It's not something that ought to happen. It's not something that was planned or that was ordained in the garden when God created everything in six days and he rested and he said everything was good. Um, it was not planned in that kind of way but it resulted from the brokenness of our fellowship with God. So there is a sense in which we have perhaps gotten used to this concept of death. We've, we've just made that part of our lives, and we've learned to process and grieve that. And I wonder today that if we, like these women and like these apostles, don't even believe anymore that God can do anything about death, um, that death is not even a part of what God's plan originally was, but that God, you know, can do something about it. I wonder if we have to confront today that we have lowered our standards just like these people, um, that we just expect God to come in and help us a little bit with our lives. But resurrection, but life, but eternity, I mean, these are just abstract ideas that we may have heard of but we don't believe anymore. I think in many ways we are perhaps like these women and like these disciples, confronted with this impossible reality that Christ was risen from the grave. Let's look forward to our next story. Here's where things start to get more hopeful. The story is commonly known as the road to Emmaus. Luke 24, chapter, uh, chapter 24, verse 13 to 16, it says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So these two disciples had gone to this journey to this place called Emmaus with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? This is Jesus speaking. And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem that does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who you may know, 
a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with the Moses, with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning to him. I think we see another aspect and perhaps we can relate to, which is spiritual blindness. I find it also always interesting that these disciples who clearly had seen Jesus, who knew Jesus, had met Jesus in disguise, perhaps, on the road to Maus and had not recognized him. I don't know exactly what happened. Maybe Jesus looked different that day. But I, ha I happen to think, and this is my prevailing theory, that their eyes were kind of blinded in a sort of anti-miracle of sorts. Um, that their blind eyes, which normally would have recognized Christ who they spent time with, were blinded from seeing God, or seeing Jesus. And the reason why was as an indication of their spiritual blindness in their hearts. Uh, because they did not understand who Jesus was. They didn't really understand why Jesus had come. They had no context for things like death and resurrection, even though they should have. Um, and so in that way, they were blind from recognizing who Jesus actually was. And Jesus says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter the glory? Guys, this shouldn't be a plot twist, you guys. If you've been reading scripture, if you've been reading the Bible in the Old Testament, you should have realized that this wasn't just some kind of like, oh, plot twist, this interesting, you know, kind of thing that happened. This was the reason for the Old Testament. This was the reason behind scripture. The arc of the story has been all pointing to this. And if you'd understood the purpose of the Old Testament, you really understood what it was about, you would have realized it was necessary. Christ should suffer these things into his glory. And then he goes on to give what a lot of people say, the greatest sermon preached that is never actually heard by us. Um, he goes on and he interprets scripture and he goes into scripture and tells them about how all of this is about him. And I can't stand here and tell, tell you exactly what he said. I wish I knew. I mean, man, that would have been awesome if Luke had put that in um, what he did. So I will just give you an educated guess based on my understanding of what perhaps he said. I imagine Jesus probably looked at them and, and told them, hey, do you guys remember Genesis? Do you remember when God created everything and he created everything and, and, and it was good and there was no death? You remember how when people fell and when they broke their fellowship with God, death entered into the world as a curse on people? You remember how that happened as a result of people's separation from God? Okay, do you see, you see that death has to be dealt with? Okay. And he goes on, maybe perhaps to Abraham, you know, important, another important figure, and he, and he says, do you remember what the story of Abraham was about? Do you remember how Abraham and his wife were really, really old? How they were dead in their bodies, how they were physically incapable of conceiving? And perhaps he said to them, you know, do you realize that it was a miracle of life that Isaac was brought forth? And that there was a symbolic idea there that was going on. It's not just, oh, good for Abraham, you know, now you can have kids. But God was doing something through the picture of Abraham. That through death, God was bringing life, miraculously. 
And then he goes on, maybe perhaps he went on to say, but you know how Abraham was called then to sacrifice his son? That this perhaps unnatural thing that should not have happened, this life that had come from death, was called to be given back to God, and Abraham was going to go and do it. And do you remember what happens? God said, Abraham, stop, stay your hands. I will provide a sacrifice. I will provide a way that your miraculous child that really should not be here, that really should not exist, can live. And maybe perhaps after that, he went to Moses. He said, you remember what the law was all about? And he talked about Moses, and he talked about how there was this tabernacle set up and how there's this whole intricate sort of system of sacrificing animals and all those things. He's like, you remember what the whole point of that was? It was to show the holiness of God, and it was to show the need for people um, that only through the shedding of blood could there be forgiveness of sins. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. You understood that, that sin separates you from God, and through the shedding of blood, that is the only way people to be brought back into a relationship with God and life. And perhaps he went on to David, and perhaps he, and he looked at, and he quoted some scripture, and, he, and he perhaps he, he talked about how David prophesied about being resurrected. I don't know if you guys know that. Back in the, in the Psalms, David actually talks about, he talks about, I believe I will look, I will look on the Lord in the land of the, of the living. And he talks about these things like, you know, I don't think you're going to let your Holy One see corruption. You know, I have faith in you, God. Raise me up. But he died, and he was buried. And it was revealed that he was talking about perhaps somebody else, somebody that would come from his line, who would conquer death, who would be raised up again. And perhaps at that moment, I'm imagining, <laughs> Jesus looked at them in their eyes and said, that man was Jesus. That's why he had to be crucified, to be a sacrifice for sins. This whole point of scripture, right? Death needed to be dealt with. Sin needed to be dealt with. The separation of man of God needed to be dealt with. If you'd understood scripture, you would have understood that. And that's why he was going to be raised up. Because a sinless, perfect person of God cannot be held in the grave forever. God was going to raise him up as a sign to us that one day we also would be resurrected with him. Maybe Jesus said all these things. He's like, do you not understand now that this was necessary, that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Let's continue on. Our third story. Jesus appears now in person. So now, you know, not just in disguise, but he comes and he speaks and he, and he shows himself in person. In Luke 24, verse 36, it says, and they were talking about these things as the disciples. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everyone written about me, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, 
Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. I love this line. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Jesus shows up in person. I love how he emphasizes the physical, tangible reality of his resurrection. This is just appear far off. Be like, hey, here I am. Okay, I'm going to heaven now. He comes in person. There's a special meaning to this idea, see my hands and my feet, that it is my myself. Why my hands and my feet? Why not just my face? Because my hands and my feet bear the marks of crucifixion. Right? This isn't just, oh, I swapped out, you know, Chevy for a, you know, Ferrari. Now I have a cooler body, I have everything. No, this is me. This is still me. The Jesus that you knew and that you loved and that now is standing here today holding literally the signs of death in my hands and my feet. Showing you that it's not just, okay, I got replaced, right? Like a robot or something, like a new whatever. I went through it. I conquered it. I'm alive. See my hands and my feet that it is myself. Then he urges them to touch him. Right? Touch me and see. Spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Brothers and sisters, I think there is an important point here that the hope that we have in resurrection isn't just this kind of conceptual idea, you know, some theoretical idea that would be nice, that was maybe prophesied here or somewhere. It is and it was a reality. It really happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus really was resurrected in this physical sense, and that indicates to us that someday for us, we also will be resurrected in a physical sense as well. N.T. Wright's book, Unsurprised by Hope, talks a lot about this kind of concept of physical resurrection, how that's something that we kind of just ignore a lot of times today in Christianity. We think about, usually when we talk about the concept of death, we think of people, you know, dying, leaving their physical bodies, and we just think of their souls kind of like bubbling up through the air, you know, and then just joining some kind of ethereal sort of uh, spiritual kind of like thing, you know, like that kind of has a setting of clouds, you know. And then, you know, Lee's talked about this in a message before, right? But we don't think about the idea that the idea of resurrection isn't, oh, we're going to go be removed from this world to somewhere else, but rather that God is going to redeem and heal and, and save this world. This very idea that Jesus went through death and was brought back to life means that we also will die someday. I feel that already as I'm getting older. Okay, I'm not that old yet. But I felt that when I turned 30, that my body doesn't work. This, you know, I used to be able to eat whatever I wanted to, and I had no consequences. I used to pull, be able to all, pull all-nighters like it was nothing. Now I can't. Now I pull all-nighter, and I have a headache for like five days afterwards, okay? Like, um, now I try to eat ramen, and I pay for it dearly, right? Um, you know, and I'm, I'm only 30, you know, so I don't know how it goes later on, you know. Um, but there is a sense, right, of kind of this creeping sort of, oh, man, I'm getting older. Oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm not who I used to be. I'm, I'm decaying, you know, physically, perhaps, right? 
And what is our society's response to that? Well, our society's response is essentially to ignore it or to try to stop it from happening, right? We either just don't talk about it because it's just an uncomfortable subject. You know, we, we pretend like, we literally pretend like we tell people to tell us that we're a different age, that we're younger, right? Or we just become obsessed about like health. You know, we're like, oh, you know, I'll do all the beauty products so I look like, you know, I'm still young, I'm gonna work out so I, you know, I'm 60 and I'm still like running marathons and all that. You know, I'm not, nothing, nothing to, you know, bad with all those kinds of things, but there is an obsession in some ways in our society to avoid this concept of death, to, to make, pretend like it's not real until we absolutely have to deal with it. And folks, I have to say there's something about seeing someone that you love die that is just, can we be real about it? That it is just so heartbreaking. I'm seeing that happen right now for my grandparents. You know, I'm seeing... Um, my grandma, I don't, I don't know how long, how much longer she has to live, and, you know, um, she had cancer, kidney cancer, and, you know, she was healed from it for, uh, you know, they did uh, chemotherapy for a while, and she's currently in remission, but, you know, but her health has just been deteriorating every year, and every, every, every year I call her and I see her, I see, you know, her mind not as much in the same way that it used to be, and I see this kind of breaking down of this person that I love. And I think in some ways, you know, society just tells us, hey, just make peace with it. Hey, just get over it. It's just how it is for everyone. You know, accept it. But that's not what the Christianity says. Not, it's not what Jesus says, right? He says, yes, that is happening, and that is not what ought to happen. But I want you to know one day, right, they will not be like that anymore. Even if they decay, even if their body just is, you know, eaten up, whatever, and they become skeletons, someday they will have a resurrected body. If they have faith in Christ, that they will have this resurrected body to enjoy with God forever. That's a, that's a very different reality, folks, about how we see death and how we ought to see it. And I think that's something that really is challenging and inspiring for me to think about. So I want to give us a few implications of how an idea of resurrection, how hope of resurrection, will actually change the way that we live today. First, I think it will empower us. Um, oops. How the hope of resurrection changes today. First, I think it will embolden us to live in freedom and joy with generosity towards others. I think there is an aspect that if we fully grasp the meaning of Jesus' resurrection for us, that we ought to be the happiest people on the planet. That as I described, that even though our society is, you know, grieving and avoiding and numbing ourselves to the concept of death, Christians can be people who embrace and acknowledge the reality of death in freedom and joy, knowing that it is not the end. I think it emboldened us perhaps to live with generosity perhaps towards other people. You think about the concept that if you had one last, you know, hundred dollars in your wallet, you know, and that's all you have, it's going to be really hard to give that to other people, right? You're like, I need it for myself. You know, I got to enjoy my last hundred dollars. You know, I'm not going to give that. But imagine if you have an abundance of money, right? Then a hundred dollars at that point, you're like, sure. You know what I mean? Like, I'll give it. I still have plenty more where it comes from. I think that's the culture that we have today with the YOLO culture, and you only live once, right? Is that 
If this is the only life that you have to live, oftentimes that causes us to feel like we have to live selfishly. That, oh, I gotta make sure everything happens the way I want to because I need to experience all that I can experience. You know, I need to travel as much in my 20s. You know, I need to, you know, do all the things I can do while I'm still healthy and fit. Because this is all I have, guys. And this is, this is, this is, this is what it is, you know. But if you think about the idea that our lives do not just end with death, but continue on for eternity, that emboldens us and that gives us the ability to be able to use our lives for other people. To be able to generously be like, like, yeah, I'm going to use my youth. I'm going to use my physical strength while I still have it. To spend it on serving others, giving others, serving the church, serving God, serving the poor. I have freedom to do those things because I know that my life isn't just wrapped up in these couple years that I have to enjoy for the rest of eternity. You know, I have eternity to look forward to with him. I think it emboldens us to live in freedom and joy with generosity towards others. Second, it gives us hope in the present physical world too. I think a lot of times when we think about this, we're like, okay, well, you know, I don't want to think about death right now. That's kind of farther on in the past. Uh, in the future. Um, well, I think there's an aspect of how hope and resurrection gives us hope in the present physical world too. I already mentioned kind of how um, N.T. Wright, you know, he talks about sort of this, um, he calls it Pla uh, Platoism, kind of like after the philosophy of Plato, um, where there's a kind of idea that the physical world is really just a bad world and how we're just trying to escape from that and we're all just trying to make it through, hopefully as painlessly as possible until we die and we go with Jesus and it's going to be great. You know, that's He's like, that's actually a Greek philosophical idea. The physical world is bad. That has crept into Christianity that has made us consider it that way. And that's why Karl Marx and all these people say religion is the opium of the masses because Christians don't seem to care much about this world. Because they're like, well, you know, I'm just thinking about dying and after that I can float off to heaven and all that's what that matters. But no, the hope of the resurrection, physical hope of the resurrection gives us hope in the present physical world too because the physical world today matters, because God is redeeming it, and God is working on it. I have a picture for us. Um, it's a badly drawn picture, but this is, this is my uh, attempt at graphics, right? That kind of gives us a picture of what it ought to be like, okay? So there's these three stages that you can consider what history is like. There's the fall of man, in which it's just completely black, right? Until Christ's resurrection, okay? There's just no hope, that's just, we die. That's just how it is, right? And that's kind of how the Old Testament is presented. Then you have Christ's resurrection. At the beginning of Christ's resurrection, something has happened, okay? Christ has risen from the dead, right? Death is no longer the end-all, be-all of people. And now his kingdom is here on earth. And in the next chapter, we would see that, that Christ would reign. Basically, what happens is Christ ascends to the throne of the world. Christ's kingdom is here now. When Christ is resurrected. But you can see that it's still kind of black <laughs> because there's still conflict. And you know, you guys could rightly say to me, well, if Christ is reigning as king now, why are there horrible things that are happening still? You know, why are there still shootings? Why are there still tragic tragedies that are happening? You know, why is there still a war in Ukraine? If Christ is reigning, then why are horrible things happening now? And what they would say, what we would say theologically, is that the difference what was happening is that there is now Christ reigning, he's now working, he's redeeming the world, but there's also still a present enemy 
Satan and sin that are still present realities that are still in conflict. But there's a difference now, right? See how it's getting bluer. Um, there's, there's a light that is dawning in some ways. And all of that ultimately will be completed again at Christ's coming again. Then when Christ comes again, right, it's not going to be this time as like a meek man, a carpenter. It's going to be in victory and it's going to be in judgments. And Christ coming again, what's going to happen is that he's going to judge, right, sin, and he's going to do away with Satan, right? And there's this kind of concept that after he has done all these things, he's going to remake the world to be what it actually ought to be. And that's where it's just solid blue, right? So that, folks, is what we're looking forward to. Christ coming again, right? That's the hope that we have. And that is contiguous, it's, con it's connected to the idea um, that he has been resurrected. A resurrection is the start of his work on this planet to redeem the world. And I drew down there, temporary rest with God. So what we think of as heaven oftentimes is really oftentimes, if you look back to the early churches of how they would talk about it, this temporary rest with God. Not this permanent place when people die to go to, but this place where they go, um, this temporary rest with God as they await for the hope of a resurrected, redeemed world temporary rest with God. So they use this kind of phrase, they've fallen asleep, they've fallen asleep, they're taking a nap, you know, taking a nap, they'll, they'll wake up soon when, when, when it really happens, when Christ comes again. Third, I think it gives us a tangible hope to share with others. And I think this is so important. Christianity has become so irrelevant for so many people in so many regards because it only seems to do with, you know, what happens in the distant future. A lot of times Christians, you know, just share the gospel like this. They're like, hey, you know, if you want to believe in Jesus, you can go to heaven after you die. And people are like, well, great. I'll think about that when I'm actually about to die, you know. But right now, I got, I got plenty of things to worry about now, <laughs> you know. So don't bother me with that, right? But it gives us the hope of resurrection, understood properly, gives us a tangible hope to share with others. Because instead, the hope that we share isn't that so much. The hope that we share is this. The hope that we share is that Christ is king. He is reigning over the world right now. He died and he was rose again, and now he's reigning over everything. And yes, there's still Satan, there's still conflict, but he is remaking the world to be a beautiful place again. Right? And if you have faith in him, then you can also be forgiven of your sins, restored to right relationship with him, and be a part of this kingdom of God that is coming that has come and is coming. It's a tangible hope that starts now, that can ex be experienced now, right? And that's the hope that we have to share with other people. I want to end on that thought, you know, that when I look at sort of all these sort of different worldviews, and I've, I've gone through a lot of periods of time when I've doubted and I've questioned, you know, is Christianity true? What about all these other worldviews and things? Um, the thing that consistently draws me back to Christianity is this. That Christianity, out of all the worldviews that I've seen so far, seems to be the only one that actually has good news. That actually has good news. I feel like most other worldviews have to do more with this idea of acceptance and of bearing. How do we come to terms with how the world is? That people die. Okay, maybe death isn't a bad thing. You know, it just happens. You know, how do we come to terms with what is the reality 
going on? How do we just accept it and how do we make peace with that? That's what I would say most worldviews in this world seem to be focused on as a goal. But Christianity, I don't know, has a very, very different goal in mind, has a very different idea in mind. Christianity says, no, what if this reality that we live in is not all that there could be? What if God is actually truly, truly, truly good? And what if he's doing that right now and there will come a day when he will fully do that? In some ways, you know, people say that Christianity takes a lot of faith because it, you know, it is the only one that has this truly good news for us to share, for us to think about. Um, you know, and I want to leave us with that kind of idea today. Let us not remove kind of the joy of the resurrection. Let us not, you know, just um, blend in with what everyone else thinks. Let's boldly hope in the resurrection and what it means for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, today, I don't know how we came in, Lord, whether we came in expecting much from you. I confess that, God, in our hearts that oftentimes we are just God, that we the hope of the gospel and the good news of the gospel is so beyond us in our faith. That oftentimes we come in and, and we can't really grasp, we don't really expect much from you. That we don't really believe that you are good. We don't really believe that you will have any impact in our lives, that you'll do anything. God, how many Sundays have we come in expecting just a little bit and not even getting that? But Father, you have so much more for us, Lord. If anything we've talked about today, it is that you are truly good. You gave your son Jesus as a sacrifice for sins and you raised him up. And you will raise us up someday to be with him in eternity. God, it's so hard to grasp how good that really is. But help us to, Lord. That just as you stood, Jesus, just as you stood before the disciples and you offered them your hands and your feet. And you said those words, touch and see. God, I pray that that would be true for us today. Even though we don't see you now, even though you physically aren't in this room right now. Help us to believe and to see that you are just as real. Help us to see you right before us, Lord, as if you were right before us, extending your hands and feet to us, saying, 
touch and feel and know that I am here. God, there is so much joy in you, Lord. And today I pray that for all of us, for every single person here, that we would be able to taste some of that joy. I pray that we would be able to go to you with our, our despair and our fears and our hopelessness. I pray that you would show us how you can meet us in those things.